0: This is Laura Dierdo with the Becker's Ambulatory Surgery Center's podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Daniel Weber, Director of Ambulatory Care at Adagio Healthcare Solutions. Daniel, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Now, I know we'll talk about a lot of different trends in healthcare and growth for ASCs, but before we dive into those topics, could you talk a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Yeah, so um, as you said, I'm Daniel Weber. I'm the director of ambulatory surgery centers for Adagio Healthcare Solutions in uh, Central Oregon. As part of that role, I'm also the administrator of two of our ASCs in Central Oregon. Um, One's an endoscopy center and the other is a multi-specialty but predominantly spine and vascular center. Previously to that, I was in Portland, Oregon, where I was the administrator of Plaza Ambulatory Surgery Center, which is a Uh, on-campus multi-specialty joint venture with Providence Health and Services. I uh, attended college at Eastern Washington University where I earned my degree in biological sciences and then Graduated in the recession, so I you know, would hope to get a job kind of in research, but ended up getting my first job with a company that was actually a, um, an ophthalmology clinic on one side and an ASC on the other. So that's kind of how I ended up in uh, healthcare and specifically in the ambulatory space, kind of out of the gates. After that, I kind of quickly made my way up the ranks and was appointed to administrator with that company at a new De Novo that they were launching in Portland. So that's kind of where I started into the kind of leadership role within the ambulatory space. And then aside from that, I've got uh, three children, two girls and a boy, and they're um, 21, four and two, and some kind of all over the place as far as that goes. Uh, but in my spare time, I enjoy working on music and just kind of getting out and exploring Central Oregon.
0: That's amazing. And, you know, great to hear um, Got so many different things going on professionally, but personally as well. Um, I'm interested, you know, in doing music, what kind of music do you do? You do? Are you, do you sing? Do you play instruments? How, what is that?
1: Yeah, just um, I used to be a singer songwriter back in the college days, um, kind of acoustic guitar stuff. But now it's just hobby playing, playing music at home. I kind of got focused on uh, music production a few years back. So kind of trying to learn how to make it sound you know like the radio basically so
0: yeah amazing well that's so fun um well you know in terms of healthcare, what are the the three biggest trends that you're following today
1: yeah you know um with my position at adagio and kind of the the nature of the company a kind of a unique uh opportunity to impact care delivery across the region You know, the one item that that ASCs, I think, really highlight in healthcare is the the lower cost alternative to hospital-based surgery. Um, But, you know, as we've seen in the last year and a half, this has really accelerated with the pandemic with this kind of transition to uh, ambulatory uh, surgery centers. So certainly the first trend that I'm focused on really is the continual case migration to uh, ASCs, but I think specifically the higher acuity cases that we're starting to see. You know, we saw total joints a few years ago. Um, come off the the, um, Medicare fee schedule and and get greater accessibility there. But um, A-lifts and X-lifts are a very uh, prime focus for us currently at one of the spine centers, um, as well as greater access to cardiovascular procedures as well. I think, uh, you know, another trend that I'm really focused on, again, kind of with the the nature of the company and and my position um, is uh, alternative payment model strategies. We've um, you know, whether these are bundled payment strategies or uh, up and downside risk-based contracting, I really think there's significant opportunity to lower the total cost of care by understanding and kind of managing all the episodes um, of care around those specific encounters. And so with my organization, we're one of 53 that have been approved for um, direct contracting with Medicare um, this year for the next next five years. So our ability to kind of connect primary care and surgical services in a mutually beneficial way, um, is really going to improve the patient experience, but, but with the kind of primary focus of lowering the total cost of, of care. So that's a, a big item that I'm, um, kind of been tasked with and really been focused on, um, this year and in the future years. And I think last really is, uh, emerging technology. We've (coughs) seen over the last 10 years, uh, you know, femtosecond cataract surgery, we've seen, um, you know, robotics with total joint replacement, you know, our lap instruments keep getting smaller and smaller and, um, you know, more procedures are being done endoscopically in the ASC setting, um, specifically in spine. And I think that, um, you know, that's definitely an important aspect that we have that tech in the surgical space, Um, but we've also seen significant improvements with with different softwares around patient engagement and and, uh, education platforms. But I think the, the um, area that I'm really interested in, uh, in addition to those areas, is uh, an area that's always been historically challenging, which is that efficient transfer of information from you know, one EMR to another or one uh, entity to another. And I see the emergence of health information exchanges as a, a significant improvement to communication across these entities that are unaffiliated. Um, that ultimately the patients are going to benefit from as their information is, you know, readily accessible from one center to the next and, you know, previous care notes and whatnot. So um, those are probably the, the kind of top areas that I'm most intrigued about right now.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting to think about, number one, talking about some of the different procedures coming to the ASC, some of the higher acuity spine and cardio um, surgeries that are making their way into the outpatient setting. Um, but number two, as well, um, the alternate pay- payment models and some of the risk bearing contracts, are you seeing, you know, I know you talked a little bit about the Medicare direct contracting. Um, are you seeing that kind of desire for um Commercial insurers as well to, to do contract with alternate pay- to mo- payment models with ASCs or is that you know still a little bit of a um, behind Medicare in that way?
1: You know I think it's um, a little bit of both. I, I think um, you know from the clinical aspect they're they're definitely uh, very motivated for that risk-based structure as you see patients that are moving or, you know, going to the wrong side of service, you know, with ED, adm- you know, unnecessary ED admits, for example, versus, yeah. say, going to urgent care, or going to your primary care provider. Um, and so that's one way where those risk-based contracts can really help um, uh, hold accountability to that organization uh, in the management of a patient's um, disposition. But I think with the that kind of risk-based contracting from an ASC perspective, I see that in some type of a bundled payment strategy a methodology that has a um, you know, a set of quality metrics based off of specific procedures, whether it's length of stay, um, uh, cost of care, time of um, um, uh, turnover, or not—excuse me, not turnover, but um, uh, just kind of length of stay, et cetera. But um, so that's where I, th- I see kind of some of that angle coming from uh, uh, the risk-based structure, but more looking at the episodes of care around um, a specific surgery, for example, total joints with um, you know physical therapy and maybe some um, preoperative imaging um, laboratory tests, bundling all that in with anesthesia services and professional services while adding in that quality um, component, I think will be a um, significant opportunity to continue moving forward uh, in the ASC space specifically.
0: That's great to hear. Um, Thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, when you think about the centers that you work with in particular, what are the best opportunities for growth over the next year or two?
1: Yeah, you know, with the endoscopy center, um, it's a very consistent specialty. Um, Volumes generally doesn't fluctuate, uh, you know, a ton besides just seasonal variations. Um, And so there's always growth, uh, you know, if we add a new provider or kind of grow our our network uh, that way. But um, a lot of endoscopy is kind of population driven, at least from a ceiling perspective. There's only so many people that that need, you know, screening colonoscopies um, and diagnostic uh, colonoscopies in a given year. Um, However, with the spine and vascular center, um, you know, we're building an extended care recovery center right now um, attached to it. So that's going to allow us to care for patients for um, up to 48 hours after surgery. And so, you know, thinking about this um, combined with the continued case migration of higher acuity spine cases, cardiovascular procedures, um, and also across um, other specialties, these subset of patients that historically just haven't been, Accessible at the ASC level um, is where I see you know significant growth that kind of ties into that um, previous discussion or previous question. Um, uh, but also, you know, it's a little bit further than maybe one to two years. But uh, the, the Medicare inpatient fee schedule going away is in 2024 is is clearly going to be a significant change for um, ambulatory surgery centers and what's going to be available. And so these next few years, as we watch those codes. Um, move off that um, inpatient to outpatient, outpatient to ASC fee schedule, um, the opportunity is going to grow there. And then being able to care for those patients um, at 48 hours versus 2359 right now is going to be a significant opportunity to uh, grow that ASC footprint. Got it,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know. It's it's really exciting to think about and imagine, you know, the future with um, the ability to have those procedures in the ASC and additional um, openings so that, you know, transitioning surgeries doesn't make sense um, versus having to wait um, until Medicare catches up. It, It sounds like it'll just, you know, further support growth on the ASC industry. Yeah. Perfect. Well, you know, before we wrap up our conversation today, what are you most excited about right now and what makes you nervous?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if there was any question as to, you know, what the value of an ASC was within healthcare, um, I think that's been answered in the last year and a half. Um, You know, once we were uh, able to come back online, we really played a vital role in freeing up space in the hospitals um, while delivering high quality, um, you know, low cost care. Um, I also think that, you know, surgeons that historically maybe didn't utilize ASCs for whatever reason, um, that were that were now kind of uh, migrated that that route over the last year and a half. They now really understand the value proposition that, that ASCs offer, not only from the uh, surgeon's perspective, but also from the patient's perspective. You know, we again offer efficiency, um, uh, the quality of care delivery, and then that quality of outcome. Um, so I think that's where you know I'm most excited about. I think our our um, overall footprint is again will continue to grow, but also our um, marketability, I think, is greater now because the, the role that we played um, and the, the exposure that we got to um, historically inaccessible um, providers or even procedures. Um, I think, you know, as far as what makes me, me you know nervous right now, it's probably a little bit of recency bias, but just the, the lingering effects of uh, the pandemic, um, you know, kind of where we're at right now, or the emergence of something else, um, you know, that stress is an already very stressed system right now. I think those are... Uh, you know, concerns that if, if something else was to uh, impact uh, healthcare in general in a, in a negative way that limited access um, or, or didn't allow us to do what we're doing today, I think there's just significant concern there of, of how the whole system will hold up as a whole.
0: Absolutely, I think that makes a ton of sense. And obviously, there has been a lot that happened over the past year with COVID nineteen, and every center was affected differently. Are there any things or aspects of um, the pandemic that continue to kind of linger, either in the operations or, or kind of how you're thinking about planning for the future?
1: You know, I think um, you know we're we're all ASCs are following CDC guidelines, so we're still you know, screening every patient, every patient has to have a, a COVID test prior to, to admit at the center. Um, you know, those are things that, that right now, one of the challenges is um, having patients who are vaccinated, but still requiring that test for them. Um, they have, uh, you know, why do I need to get this done? I'm, you know, I'm vaccinated. Uh, clearly I, I should be safe from this and, and um, potentially exempt from this, this uh, additional item that is needed prior to admit to the center. But um, that's one thing that's a challenge because it's another appointment for the patients, another, another trip in the cards to, to a lab, to get that done. Um, You know, we have, we're still limiting um, access to the center um, and, and things feel, you know, we're not back to that, that, that normal by any means um, that we were, you know, pre, pre pandemic, but, I think the, the other aspect, um, you know, kind of a financial impact aspect, and probably any administrator that's listening to this um, went through this process, but when everything started, you know, we immediately had to look at all of our cash on hand and our expenses and, and how long can we last in a shutdown with our liabilities to, to um, until we can reopen again and, and kind of get back to business. And so I think through that, the ASCs that have been the most successful post um, Early pandemic closure. Now moving forward, are the ones that not only looked at their their center and said, "Well, we got to fix a few items here," but uh, or to kind of uh, trim items here to kind of hold on right now, but um, really changed their business strategy and um, you know what they how they have approached certain cases or recruited certain physicians or certain procedures, and so. I think there is, a, um, at least in the, in the market that I'm in in the centers that I've worked with, been a fundamental shift around recruitment from the pandemic in a positive way, um, you know, better positive access to more physicians, um, different procedure types. I think the other piece is that everybody, we were kind of always told that change took a long time and there was many steps that had to occur. And I think we saw in this last year and a half that if we need to change, if we're forced to change quickly, we can We can do it in such a dynamic way that we can still be successful, and so I think those are um, strong feathers in our caps, basically, that um, as we move forward interface with kind of, quote, simple problems that we would see in an ASC um, on a a normal kind of day-to-day operating um, basis, I I think we'll be much more um, uh, adept at dealing with those and feeling very comfortable in our decision-making process.
0: Well, that's great to hear. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really enlightening discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks for having me.